0: My name is Caitlin and I'm one of the pastoral elders here at One Hope and I don't usually um, preach. I'm not usually on the preaching roster and it came to my attention a few weeks ago that it was going to be a public holiday weekend that I was preaching and I thought that is great, there will be less people at church. But then they announced there is a free barbecue after church today and it turns out that you guys like a free lunch because there is actually quite a few of you in here today so I'm going to have to hold myself together even though we've got a pretty full, um, a full room today. I was driving down Mallop Street a few months ago and as I was driving there was a shop that caught my attention. Now I don't know if it was a new shop or not but I'd never noticed it, noticed it before. It had really bright stripes on the window and it looked just like a convenience store. The sort of shop that you would walk in, you would grab a litre of milk or maybe a newspaper or a $1 coffee, if that's your sort of thing. I can see Richard Shirley looking at me because he, he loves his coffee, and so that's his uh, $1. Is the $1 coffee the one you like, Richard? Not quite. <laughs> so it looks sort of like a 7-Eleven in different colours. And as I was looking at it, I realised that the sign on the window actually didn't say convenience store. What it said was spiritual convenience. And I got a bit intrigued by that, so I slowed down and had a look at all of the other promotional material that was on the windows. And it turns out that this shop sold everything you needed to have a convenient spiritual encounter. So it sold tarot cards and crystals and tea leaves and a whole heap of other stuff that I'd actually never heard of before. And it dawned on me in that moment that Christianity is so inconvenient. God calls us to a day-by-day relationship with him. And sometimes we try and use him like a convenience store. We don't really spend time with him. We go off, we do our own thing. Things go a little bit bad and we're running straight back and seeing if we can grab something. It's a go in and see if you can get a quick fix. Sort of mentality. But God is calling us to a day to day relationship with Him. He's calling us to a Christian faith that isn't based on convenience, a Christian faith that um, is based on faith and sacrifice and obedience. In Matthew chapter 4, 18 to 22, it says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. There was never a discussion about whether it suited their plans or their personal life goals. And the disciples were given a clear and direct instruction. They followed it without argument. In the book of Exodus, we see that God called Moses in a bit more of a spectacular way than the previous example we just looked at. Moses was living a pretty ordinary life and he was with his—he was working for his father-in-law in Midian. So despite the fact that he had been brought up in the Pharaoh's palace by the Pharaoh's daughter, a few things had gone on. Now the Pharaoh wanted to kill him. And I sort of imagined Moses in this stage of his life That he's sort of a middle-aged guy, he's got a wife, we know he's got at least one child, and if I was imagining him as a modern-age guy, I'd think, yeah, he's the one that, you know, he's got his emails up to his armpits from school with notifications about things that he has to do and possibly he's just going to work trying to keep his head above water and pay the bills or coaching Auskick on a Friday night. It's that sort of stage of his life. And that's when God appears to Moses in the burning bush. I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 37. It says, "The Lord says or said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey." the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of Egypt. In chapters three and four following this, we see how Moses responds to what has been a pretty direct instruction from God. His response is very different to the disciples' response that we read about earlier. And I'm going to call this Moses' cascade of excuses. In Exodus chapter 3, we see the first excuse, verse 11. But Moses said to God, What am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And then in verse 13, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? So, to start with, we can see that he's just sort of questioning the role. He's been a little bit subtle about it. Then it gets to chapter four, and Moses answered, What if they do not believe me, or listen to me, or say the Lord did not appear to you? So now he's starting to come up with some probably what we would call more genuine excuses. Verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Now, Moses starts to get pretty blunt towards the end. He isn't holding back anymore. He's not playing games. So he just tells God exactly what he thinks. And in verse 13, we read, but Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. Has anyone else ever asked God to do that, to send someone else? I definitely have. It's not surprising after all of these excuses that if we were to read on, it actually says, God became angry with Moses. It was a long conversation and I've really condensed it. Almost two years ago, God called me to do something. And it wasn't in the form of a burning bush and thank goodness it was not anything near as important as leading the Israelites out of Egypt. Mine started as a text message um, from John O'Broadbent, and it said, hey, can we catch up? Now, when I got that text, I was at home isolating with my three kids. We weren't really sick. We were blessed by that, really. We weren't feeling sick. My husband was so lucky, he was an essential worker, he got to keep going to work. But I was pretty frustrated, because we were stuck at home and there was a lot of cabin fever. And so when I got this text, I was like, Ugh. and I wrote back, I said, I'm really sorry, Jono, we're isolating, I can't catch up. And so he wrote back and said, can we Zoom? I thought, oh, no, I don't want to Zoom because we've been doing Zoom for ages now and I'm just a bit over Zoom meetings. I thought, okay, it must be important. I probably need to actually say yes to So I texted back and said, yeah, sure, we can Zoom, set up a time, and we set up a meeting time. And then a few days later, we actually got to the meeting and John said, well, we, had a, we had a nice chat first, and then he said, Caitlin, I've got three things I need to talk to you about. And I was like, oh, okay, and he said, Oh, actually, do you know what? I don't even know what the first thing was. It mustn't have been important. doesn't matter. The second one, he said something, and it was sort of a conversation that we had had quite a few times, the second question. And I knew my answer, and I was like, nah, we we know the answer to this one. We don't even need to talk about it. It was a quick discussion. And then before he asked me my third question, he said, I need you to hold your poker face. Now, Anybody who knows me well knows that I actually don't have a poker face. I, um, I just can't hide what I am feeling. And so I really appreciate that Jono knew me well enough to warn me to hold my poker face before this. And I sort of bit my tongue and tensed up my face muscles in preparation for it. And I thought, what on earth is he going to ask me, like if he's asking me to do this? And he said, Caitlin... I'm here on behalf of the pastoral elders. We've been praying about who we would like to um, join the team or, or who we feel like God is leading us to join the team. And yours is the name that we feel like God is leading us to. Well, it was really lucky that I had bitten my tongue and I had, you know, fixed my face muscles because I actually would have laughed in his face. And instead, because I was sort of in this position, I just sort of did something like, (laughs) and then it felt to me like there was a really, really long, awkward silence. And so finally I relaxed and we had a little bit of a chat about it. And then I said, look, I'll go away. I'll pray about it. I'll talk to my husband, Kent, about it. Jono mentioned, he said, oh, well, he said, once a decision has been made, it needs to go to the members meeting. The members will vote on it. Um, And there is a members meeting, Caitlin, in about six weeks. And I was like, oh, okay, all right. So I did what any very good and godly potential pastoral elder would do. And I got off that Zoom meeting and I went on Google and I Googled church elder. And Google very, very quickly (laughs) told me that a church elder is an old man. <laughs> <laughs> and it was about that stage where my own cascade of excuses started to come into play. And my excuses were pretty much the same excuses as what Moses has had, had had. I felt completely unworthy of the role. I didn't even really know what the pastoral elders did, but I knew it was time consuming and I knew it was a big responsibility. I was worried about what other people would think because there were plenty of people around who knew me a lot better than the pastoral elders and those people had seen me at my worst. I felt completely unqualified and inexperienced to do the job And at one stage, I actually wrote a list of other people who I thought they should have asked (laughs) instead of me. I didn't give that list to them, but there was a little bit of Moses, can you send someone else going on there? I wrote a list of the pros and I wrote a list of the cons, and the cons list was so much bigger than the pros list. And then one night, David Ballinger, who is the chairman of the elders, came over to our house to chat to Kent and I about it. And he was telling us about the 7 a.m. Saturday morning prayer meeting that elders go to. And they go to this meeting to seek God and pray over our church. And he was saying it's such a beautiful and powerful time. Now, I am not a morning person. And on the inside, I was just thinking, this sounds like the worst. A 7 a.m. Saturday morning prayer meeting is not going to sell it to me. Along with my fears and my excuses, logistically, I actually could not fathom how I was going to fit another responsibility on my plate. Life was already busy. I had my work, I have three kids, and I do a whole range of other bits and pieces, My boss had already given me the heads up that in the following year, my part-time job was going to become a full-time job. So we continued to pray about it, and I ummed, and I aahed, and the members' meeting came and went, and I still hadn't given them an answer. And this went on for months. But through that whole time, despite my cascade of excuses... God was ever so gently and kindly placing a sense in my spirit that this was something he was calling me into. There was a period of a few weeks where just about every time I listened to a preacher or even a song on the radio or a Christian podcast, it was always about God calling Moses into responsibility. There was even one night where my kids grabbed the picture Bible off the bookshelf and said, mum, let's read this one. And they flicked it open. And of course, it was the story of Moses and the burning bush. It was getting pretty clear that God had a message for me and I wasn't really doing a very good job of listening to it. It was also at that time that my boss called me into his office um, to have a chat about my job for the following year and we, we had a pretty brief conversation and then he just sort of ended it by saying, well, let me know what you want next year, let me know your days, I'll advertise the rest of your job. Yeah, you can just have whatever you want. And that was a really, still is, a very unheard, unheard of situation at my work. So, you know the ending of this story. It took a full eight months but I finally ended up as a pastoral elder here at One Hope. And honestly, there have been times in this role where I have felt completely out of my depth. And it's inevitable that there will be more of those times to come. But the good thing about that is that the more out of my depth I am, the more I'm relying on God, and that is exactly what He wants me to be doing. God provides everything I need And he has enabled me beyond my fears and excuses. I was actually walking this morning and I was thinking about um, in Matthew chapter 8 where Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And I was thinking it's a perfect example. I'd be lying to you to say if there aren't things that are burdens, but the burden is light. On a side note, just so that I've clarified, I want you to know that I absolutely love the 7 a.m. Saturday morning prayer meetings. They actually are a real highlight for me. As I have been contemplating this story and writing it down in preparation for today, I've been thinking about this question. How can we overcome our own fears and challenges to live a life of obedience? In In an attempt to answer it, I've come up with three I can statements. Now I need you to stick with me here because I'm a primary school teacher. So the average age of the people I teach is about seven years old. So I'm used to making things very simple. Now the kids who are in the room will know exactly what an I can statement is. An I can statement is something that we use as as evidence to see if we have met our learning intention. So today I'm going to encourage you to use the I can statements to give yourself, um, to use them as a little reflection tool. And maybe you can even give yourself a little score on them if you want to. So the question was, how can we overcome our own fears and challenges to live a life of obedience? And the first I can statement is, I can trust God's plans. In Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Have a little think about it. Are you more of a, yeah, I can definitely trust in God's plans sort of person? Or are you more of a, mm, I can sort of trust in God's plans if it aligns with my plans sort of person? As someone who likes to be in control, this statement is so much easier said than done but when God calls us to do something even if it looks scary we have to trust his plan the second I can statement is I can seek God to find out what he is calling me to do in James 4 8 it says come near to God and he will come near to you it's really hard to know what someone wants you to do If you haven't talked to them about it. And maybe God is calling you to draw closer to him and have a conversation with him. To have a sense of God's calling on your life, you need to be spending time with God. And that means reading the word. That means sitting with him in prayer. When was the last time that you asked God what he's calling you to do? Maybe he's just waiting for that conversation. The last I can statement is I can obediently follow God's call. Obedience isn't a very fashionable word at the moment. Obedience training is something we take our dogs to. A recent report was put out by King's College London, and the report was about parenting priorities and the international attitudes towards raising children. It was based on data collected from the World Values Survey and I'm going to share a couple of the results with you. So looking at this first graph, because this report came out of London, the red bar is showing the United Kingdom's results. We're gonna look up a little bit to where Australia is. Australia actually got a slightly better score. People surveyed were given a list of qualities that children can be encouraged to learn at home and they were asked to say which ones they considered to be especially important. In Australia, only 19% of people selected obedience as one that they considered important. Now if we look at the next graph, thanks Jussie, you'll see that back in 2006, almost 40% of Australians surveyed said that obedience was important. It has roughly halved since that time. If that's our attitude towards obedience, then no wonder we find it hard to be obedient to God. Again and again, we are instructed in the Bible to be obedient to God's will, not negotiate with God's will. Jesus is our perfect example of this. And in Philippians 2.8, Paul writes, And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Obedience is following God's call, even when we don't want to. God might be challenging you to stop harbouring a bad attitude. It might mean forgiving someone who has hurt you. Or it might mean restoring a relationship. It might mean sharing your faith in your non-Christian workplace. Or going out of your way to cook someone a meal because God has placed that person on your heart. God is calling us to partner with him on a day-to-day basis. Trusting him. Seeking out his will and then obediently following it. He doesn't want us to treat him like a spiritual convenience store. I'm really grateful that all those thousands of years ago when the angel came to Mary and told her that she was going to give birth to the saviour of the world, that she didn't turn around and say, it doesn't really suit my plans at the moment. Sorry, it's not really convenient right now. I want to encourage you today, Don't be so busy feeling inadequate or making excuses that you miss out on the amazing opportunities that God is placing in your hands. As the music team comes up, I'm going to pray. And as we're worshipping today, if you feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to respond, the front is going to be open. I would love to pray with you. There are other people who will come down and pray with you. Because we would really love to get along beside you today and acknowledge if God has prompted something in your spirit. Why don't you stand with me? Lord, we thank you that you are a good God and you have good plans for our life. Lord, We thank You that we can find rest in You, knowing that through You the yoke is easy and the burden is light. Holy Spirit, we ask now that You come in and You bring attention to all those things in our lives that we have been trying to control, Lord. Lord, we ask You to forgive us where we have not been obedient, And Father, we lay those things at Your feet, Lord. Lord, we pray that as we seek You, that You will speak to us, that You will give us new vision and new purpose. And that You will give us the persistence and the resilience to obediently follow Your will, Lord. We thank you for your blessings, Lord, and we thank you for the way you come and stand beside us. In Jesus' name, Amen.